Hey, good morning, fellowship family. It's great to have you here. I'm going to invite you to turn in God's word to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. This is our 13th message in the book of 1 Corinthians. So we ought to understand what's going on in that city, in that church of that city in Corinth. Uh, I've shown this before. I've shown pictures of the ruins in present day or ancient of ancient Corinth in present day. And, uh, you know, when you look at, at uh, ruins from a distance or you go up on there, you can kind of reveal when you're walking through them, kind of reveal how people used to live. We have the benefit of really kind of uh, seeing what were the issues that the church in Corinth was dealing with, because we've been spending 13 weeks getting underneath the veneer of this church. And you know what this this um, what survived to us have been, you know, a church that was divided, a church that had factions, a church that resisted authority, a church that was kind of a snobbish to people, even inside each, uh, the church, a church that was undisciplined, a church that had a lack of love and humility and a church that was just dissentious. And so Paul writes this letter from Ephesus and he says, look, God's church is greater than any one of us, but it includes each of us. So get grounded in Christ. He called them to be grounded in Christ. And so that's what this whole picture that we've been looking at throughout this summer has been about. It's about what could life look like if our church was grounded in Christ? Because just like people, churches have a personality about them. And it's derived from a majority of the people that go to them. Churches have a DNA, a culture that they sustain by what they value or the vision they preach or the way they treat people. We spent these 12 weeks looking underneath the veneer of a church in Corinth. And we found a, a church that was pretty wealthy, a church that was affluent, a church that was that uh, prided themselves on being self-made individuals. They were prosperous. They were progressive. But but once we got beneath that, we saw that there was a cancer growing in it. There was a cancer of division and self-righteousness and selfishness and dissension. You know, we don't just have 1 Corinthians, though. We have 2 Corinthians, and we're not going to do a series on that. But we can find... Did this work? Did Paul's instruction to a broken, messed up church, did they respond? And we see in 2 Corinthians, sometimes they overreacted and they over overly harsh with people in in response to Paul's correction. But on others, we see that they were really passive, that they didn't respond. And so we get this kind of, uh, you know, zooming out of them to see, did they really respond? And we they really didn't. They really didn't. So as we've read, and we've said a lot about this church in Corinth, I I just have to step back and ask the question about us here at Fellowship Bible Church. What will be said of us in future years? A more important question would be, what would God say about us in future years? Because it's ultimately his eyes that we're concerned with. It's his pleasure that we take joy in. And Paul is going to build the case. He's going to give us closing statements here that reveal his heart and passion for three persistent values for the church in Corinth. And because the scriptures apply to us today for our church. 
So let's pick up on them. We find the first one in in uh, this first section in chapter 16. Would you read it along with me? It says this. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Boy, you go, wow, what do you got from that? It's just a bunch of instructions from Paul to people. Take a collection. But what is he talking about? What's the value there? Well, he's calling them to give generously, isn't he? He's calling them to give outside of themselves to take up an offering for a church in Jerusalem. And what do we know about this church? Well, it was a church that was struggling. They had a famine. This was in the mid-50s, the actual 50s, not the 1950s. And uh, the, during that time in Jerusalem, there was a great famine. In, in the year 70 AD, literally, Rome would set up siege in that city and tear it to shreds. Literally, the temple would, stones from the temple would be thrown off this massive uh, temple mount. And uh, today you could go and see those stones. They, it, the, the, the mount is ne- has not been, the temple's not been rebuilt on that mount. And so what Paul is saying is, look, our fellow brothers and sisters need help. The church in Jerusalem needs our help. Now, he called on the church in Galatia to help them, and they helped them. He called on the church even in Philippi, and that's an interesting church, and he'll write about it in 2 Corinthians, because here's the situation. They were poor themselves. They didn't have it to give, and yet they heard about it. And Paul says, out of their great poverty, God welled up rich generosity. They gave. They gave generously. And so if you would think that a church like Corinth, I mean, Corinth was wealthy. Corinth had the professionals. Corinth had the entrepreneurs. Corinth had the uh, academians. Corinth had it. They had all the resources to help with Jerusalem. Did they help? No, they didn't. If you read in 2 Corinthians, he has to spend a, a major part of that book saying, look, give, you can do it. You have the capacity. These other churches, how did they do it? God loves a cheerful giver. So give. And you know, they, he, he called them to take responsibility for three things God had given them. And those three things are the same things God has given us. He's given us, first of all, the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. The most priceless gift ever given to us is Jesus. We couldn't pay that. We couldn't, uh, we don't deserve it. It's given to us by grace. And we needed Jesus to come and live a perfect life for us. And he left the throne of heaven. As Paul says, he became poor so that we might become rich. He left that throne and he lived on this earth, a life we couldn't live, a perfect life for us. He died on a cross to pay the price for sin and he rose again from the dead. He also uh, he also uh, lives for us today and gives eternal life in his name. That's Jesus. We needed him and we received the gospel. We also received the goodness of God. And that means God's character in our lives, his love, his grace, his peace, his joy, his hope, all the gifts uh, and fruit of the spirit are gifts to us. God shares his character with us in Christ and we're to steward what God has given us. But then God's also given us financial resources. He's given us 
abilities and, and skills that other people don't have that he wants to use to advance his kingdom. Do you see the value that Paul is saying? He said, what I want to hear of you, what may it be said of us, is that God blessed their world through generosity. That's what we're called to in this passage. Paul called them to take responsibility with the gospel, the goodness, and the gifts God had given them. To be a blessing. To move beyond just counting your blessings and contribute and be a blessing. To be generous. And I've learned to be generous. Here's the deal. You can't be generous if you don't give. I just realized that in my own life. I have wanted to be generous. And I love generous people, especially when they give to me. But the reality is, is I can't be and you can't be generous if you don't give. And I've seen that pattern of generosity here at Fellowship. It's been a joy as a pastor just to see how much we have grown as a church in generosity. When we were a church of 100 people, we gave $200 a month outside of this church. Now that we're a larger church, we've been able to give over $50,000 a month outside of this church. That's awesome, folks. And you see that it's grown exponentially. And it goes to ministries here in town like uh, the uh, NetReach uh, ministry through the Topeka Rescue Mission at the High Crest neighborhood, that neighborhood of great need. It goes to uh, places like Young Life that reach out to junior high and high school students. It goes to... Um, a whole bunch of uh, like the bridge here that has after school programs and mentoring young people. But it's not just in our community. It's also around the world. Some of you have taken a short term trip with us. We have a current short term trip right now in the Dominican Republic working with Trash Mountain Project over there. Some of you have dug wells. We sent uh, many of you to go and dig water for uh, freshwater wells that can be a blessing, not just a not just be a spiritual blessing by sharing the gospel, but also being a physical blessing by by blessing them far after we're gone. But, but that's happened because we've made decisions along the way to increase how much we give outside of ourselves. Do you know the average church in America gives 2% of what they receive outside of themselves? It kind of models our personal lives. The average Christian in America gives 2.7% of their income to the Lord. It's kind of interesting. And so we want to be a church that leads in this area. And we can't lead without being generous. And that requires that everyone, everyone, I know some of you immediately go right and repel this and go, all the church is interested in is in my money. And you know what? No, 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 no. Because God is doing it just fine. And he was doing it just fine without us. But the reality is, is we've learned that it's much better to give than to receive. It's much better to give beyond ourselves than it is to spend it all on ourselves. That's a concept that if we could get personally, could radically transform how we view resources. Radically transform and appreciate the blessings God has given us. So we'll always call you into giving. And if you go, I don't want to give, then don't. It's okay. God's going to use us and he's going to use every one of you who steps in. So we're going to call you to give unapologetically. And I'll just tell you, I'll never know. I'll never know how much you give because I don't ever want to kiss up to people who give a lot. I never want to kiss off to people who don't give anything. Okay. 
I want to be a pastor who stands here and says, look, it is a great value. We all love to be generous. We all love it when people are generous with us. Come on, folks, let's get in the game and let us be a blessing to our world through generosity. Let it be said of us that we resisted the pull of our culture to live far beyond our means and spend it all on ourselves. And instead, we blessed our world through generosity. May it be said of us that we lived by faith, not by fear with our finances, and gave to advance the gospel in our generation. May it be said of us that people in the future will worship Christ because we gave generously today and made space for them. Folks, may it be said of us that God blessed our world because we were generous. Think about this. I remember when I first got here, I wondered if Fellowship Church was just wiped off this corner, would, would our community miss us? Would anyone miss us? Are we a burden or are we a blessing to this city? Are we a burden to our world or a blessing? We want to be that blessing. And requires here, as Paul says, to give for, for us to be generous, to be a blessing. But I've also known that generosity grows in me when my faith is growing. And that's the second value that Paul's going to talk about, is a growing of faith. Look with me in verse 5. Paul says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Look at this. For a wide door for effective work has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. For he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me. For I am expecting him with the brothers. Second thing that Paul is saying. Paul is saying, boy, may it be said of you, church in Corinth, that God united your faith around the gospel. See, this was a church that was fragmented, right? It had a lot of divisions in it. And Paul consistently called them back. Unite together. Accept each other. Love one another. He called them to unify around the gospel. He said, I'm away right now, but I intend to come and be united with you again. What was keeping him from being with them? What was the gospel? He says this, that a wide door of effective works has opened for me. And there's many adversaries. This is a man who is, who is passionately committed that he wasn't going to just keep God's love in his heart. He was going to share God's love with people around him. And that's the value of the gospel. The greatness of the gospel is not that you just get it and you have it and you're superior to everyone around you. No, the gospel is for you to take it and to realize I don't deserve this. I can't I can't work for it, but it's mine through God's grace. I'm going to share it with the people around me. And he wanted that church united around gospel work, the good news of Jesus. Paul told them that they were part of a larger work beyond themselves. It was God's work to advance the gospel in their generation. 
Now, did they unite? Did they take his words here and unite around the gospel? We're not sure. (laughs) We're not sure. Paul doesn't write in 2 Corinthians 6. Wow, you're so much more together. The gospel is just beaming out of you. I'm so proud of how you responded. We don't get anything on that. We actually get more instruction that says you're God's ambassadors. You make your appeal. God's reconciling the world to himself through what you do around the gospel. So may it be said of us that although we sought understanding in the whispers of scriptures, we shouted the shouts of scriptures around the gospel. May it be said of us that we valued God, his word and people above tradition, above personal comfort, and we wanted to advance it in our generation. May it be said of us that we were about people finding and following Jesus, the one who lived, died, and rose again for us. May it be said of FBC that they were not afraid to share their faith with others. They refused to relegate their faith to an art form. They courageously shared the truth and the grace of Christ in a resistant world, but with kindness, respect, and compassion. You see what God was doing? He was calling them to be a part of his work. Where they were a blessing through generosity. Where they were united around the gospel and advanced it in their lives. There's one more value here there. And it's a value of love. I want you to look for it as we continue in reading. Paul says in verse 12. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers. But it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. And they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. Um, Boy, there's a lot of names here, right? We haven't named our kids Achaicus, have we? Or Stephanus or Fortunatus. Come here, Fortunatus. But what do we see here? When Paul lists seven names here, he's talking about relationships. And he wanted to be said of them that God deepened their love through challenges. God deepened their love in the midst of challenges. That's what he's calling them to do. Think about the relationships there. Seven specific names of people that Paul mentions. Can you move to that next slide, please? There's, these are deep relationships amidst personal dissensions, amidst persecution, amidst resistance. God was deepening their love. We might think, oh, this is the age, 2015. There's an attack on Christianity. Look at what's happening in our world today. This is nothing compared to what the first century church had to deal with. I mean, their friends and family members were persecuted and martyred for the gospel. And yet, what did God want to do? He wanted to deepen their love. The church had its differences. They didn't accept one another. Paul says, deal with it. 
Work through conflict. Because when you work through conflict rather than walk away from conflict, look out. God is going to deepen your love. He says in verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. One of his last statements in his in this letter, verse 22, he says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Really strong language. But what he's saying is, folks, you got to get around the love of God. Love him, love the people around you. And those challenges expose different realities about us and how we love. I remember when uh, I got married and uh, I had been single uh, into my late 20s and I got married and all of a sudden I realized, holy smokes, this is another person. She doesn't think exactly like me. I mean, we dated, we were so much alike, but now that we're married, these differences are coming up from the way we squeeze toothpaste. It's different. And I wonder, boy, is this really the person for me? And then I had to realize, Joe, God's called you to love her as Christ loves the church and gave him. Give up yourself to love your wife. So I, I started working and I started practicing on giving up what I wanted so that I could love her. And I got that worked out okay. And then we had kids. Look out, three boys. Life just became just, you know, surrounded by three tyrants that just were just all around you. Our furniture that we really loved is ruined, ruined. There's, there's dried up popcorn and all this in the cow, the cushions and there's spilled juice and something we don't even know what it is, 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 is underneath the thing. And our dog is, is, changing and it's learning how to just be around our kids and eat the food they drop on the floor our by the way our floors are gone i mean i'm a carpeting kind of guy and it's gone and our clothing was gone when they were babies they were spitting up on it and you don't realize how much you can control of your life until the uncontrollable children come into your life and you realize what is god doing with me here because there's some of our kids that are just like me, okay? But then there's other. You're not like me at all. Where did you come from? <laughs> and so God is going to deepen me. He's going to show me through a different personality, like my wife, how to love her and love everyone like her. And he's going to show me through my kids how to love them. And he's going to deepen me through that. Because here's the reality. If we just surround ourselves with people who look like us and act like us and speak like us and, dare I say, even believe like us, look out. We're going to have a very, very shallow love. What pattern are we given? We're given the pattern of Jesus who left the praise of heaven and came and lived on this earth who loved me before I loved him, who loved me while I was still in my sin. That's the reality we have. And what I've learned is I've started to look at conflict as an invitation to deepen my love. Some of you have skipped around from church to church. I didn't like this. He's talked about, oh, I won't talk. Move to the next one. And I didn't like conflict. The woman looked at me in the wrong way. We're at, we're at the Baptist church the next week. And then we just given up on all denominations. So we showed up at Fellowship Bible Church. 
I mean, we all have our reasons for skipping around different churches. But what if we didn't? What if we actually put down roots and love the people that God has placed right next to you? I'm not like them. Great. You might deepen in your love. I don't know if I believe everything they believe. Great. We believe Jesus. We trust him. Let's accept each other with Christ and learn. And, and, and here's the deal. God's always going to deepen your love when you endure with people. Anyone can just skip to the next relationship, the next church, the next company, the next neighborhood with people they don't get along with. But that's really a shallow way to live. Those who are deep in love have learned to love a lot of different people. There's a lot of things that could divide us, church. But may it be said of us that God deepened our love in the midst of challenges. May it be said of FBC that we willingly loved Jesus in a broken and dark world. And we were willing to shine the light of Jesus in darkness. May it be said of us that we engaged conflict with each other, with truth and grace. We endured and we stayed rather than running away from the conflict. May it be said of of us that our world got a deeper and wider and richer picture of the love of God by the people we loved and served in the name of Jesus. Folks, how can it be said of us? How can this be said of us? Well, I honestly believe that before it can be said of us, it must begin with me. That's the reality I want all of us to take back from, because I think we'd all like to be in a church that blessed its world through generosity, that that we're united in faith around the gospel, that we're deep in their love, In the midst of challenges. I mean, those are the churches. I'm just going to be honest here. We wake up on a Sunday morning when we can do a hundred other things and we come and we gather and we, and we connect with those kind of churches. We do that. How, how do you get, how does that become a reality here? It becomes when I make that decision to be that person. And when you do too, because a legacy begins today. And we have a vision here at FBC. We see a vision of transformed lives leaving a godly legacy. We want generations in the future to be changed as a result of what we do in our generation. I want to be a person who makes a difference in this world. And I know you do too because you're here. You're here. So how? You say it's got to begin with me. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to look for anyone else around me. to. And can I just be honest with you? You can't change anyone except yourself. I have tried it. Boy, I've tried it for 23 years in marriage and for over 20 years in parenting. I can't change anyone except myself. Sometimes I have to have, well, I'll be honest with you. Even God has to change me. And I've seen him do that. But you know what? 
we can take responsibility for our own lives. That's why we need to be willing to step back from these things and say, before it can be said of us, it must begin with me. I'm going to be one who blesses the world through giving generously. I'm going to be one who unite, who's united in faith around the gospel. The gospel will, my life will order around the gospel. It's going to be my priority in life. And I'm going to be one who God deepened, deepened his love through challenges. And if you will do that, if you will be available for God, you begin the pattern. And when you do it and the person next to you do it, does it and your row does it and your service does it. Look, look out. We have momentum here. And these things are something that are said of us now and will be said of us then by the almighty God of the universe. Here's what I want to do as we close. I just want to bow in a in a moment of reflection. So if you would just tune out everything from your life right now and focus on what God is calling us to do. Just bow your head, close your eyes just so you aren't distracted. And I'm going to read these statements again. They're I'll be the one statements. And if you agree with that and you want to take action on this, I just want you to go when I read this just quietly to the Lord. I will. I'll be that one. And, and then I'll pray for you. First statement I said is, I will be one whom God blesses the world through generosity. I'll be the one who God united in faith around the gospel. I'll be one whom God deepened his love in the midst of of challenges. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thanks for this time to get into your word and to see these three values that Paul was longing to have it be said of the church in Corinth. May it be said of the church here at Fellowship Bible Church. May we be people who bless this world through generosity, who are united in faith around the gospel and who are deepened in love in the midst of the challenges that we have. And may Jesus get the glory and the praise. Begin with me. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. As we think of what will be said of us, and what we want said of us as a church, individually, let's let this be our prayer together and sing this out. For Jesus to take our lives, for us to surrender ourselves to his will.